Hey everybody, welcome to Low Code Approach. And today we're going to be talking about data-driven applications with Brendan Hancock, who is a principal technical architect with Microsoft. Hey Brendan, how you doing? Hey, doing good. Great to chat with you, Sean. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So let's jump right into this. You know, data is a crucial part of the, the app design process. But like, wh why should a developer lead with data as opposed to, you know, logic or UX first when they're designing solutions for their organization? Sure. I think that UX and logic are interesting places, of course, as well. But the reason that I would at the outset start with data is security. Ultimately, whatever you're going to end up trying to build as a power platform architect or really a technical architect in any platform is dealing with the authentication and the authorization into underlying data sets. And so with that, we have obviously power platform and Azure Active Directory, which has an entire environment construct that's usually, you know, built within organizations in order to silo and segment users from developers um, and to have kind of an underlying approach towards how we're going to be leveraging data loss prevention connectors, the various APIs that we're interacting with. So at the outset of most um, power platform sort of solutions that I'm looking at approaching, I want to know what data you know needs to be basically qualified so where is it is it on premises is it in a third-party cloud is it an azure or is it going to be something that you build completely net new in something like a dataverse uh those are just foundational questions that you kind of have to answer schema is cool like I, I think building a beautiful ux is also important but i think that if you start with ux and you don't have those core fundamental questions around data kind of answered at the beginning of the project, then you can back yourself into a corner that is difficult to back out of. So that's that's why I start that way. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you raise a good point. I know we talked about it earlier, but when a developer tries to attempt at UX, it's usually not the greatest. I think that's what green screen is, basically. I mean, I've seen I've seen a lot of scenarios where people build an elegant canvas-based application user interface and experience and then ultimately run into challenges later down the line when they hit a requirement around how users interact with data. And so a recent one that I had kind of come across my desk was people were six months into an implementation and they had built a Canvas-based application on top of SQL. Nothing controversial there, great, that's, that's totally cool, but they ended up having a requirement that came through um, that involved users interacting with information on the data in like a tabular format. So it, think of it just like Excel entry, being able to go into columns and uh, fields on a table of information and do kind of like batch edits to it, only to realize that there was constraints with the way that Canvas-based applications do that in terms of their API uh, calls back into a SQL environment. And while there's probably ways that they could have hacked around it, it it's just a primary example of like, Maybe we wouldn't have built a Canvas-based application knowing that model-driven applications have that capability at the outset. And, and while there are other tools that can do that with SQL, a Canvas-based application is not one. So it's just, it's just an example of like where that misalignment 
probably costs them dearly, you know, at the six month mark in an implementation. No, that's a good point. I mean, you know, traditionally, when you're going through this implementation phase, or even when you're a well established, actually, let's let's go back to the implementation stage. Mm-hmm. When and who do you get involved when you're building out these solutions? I had spoken with Wendy Haddad earlier before about service managers, right? And kind of like mm-hmm. being the glue that that helps drive an organization together for adoption. But like when you're building out these solutions and data is involved and so heavily considered, how do you make yourself more dynamic so that way you can work around, you know, new requirements being put into the app design? So say, you know, we, you know, we are building this off of SQL, but oh no, we need to be able to do batch edits and almost like the um, that old SharePoint uh, list editing uh, functionality, right? Like. How do you make sure that you're not being handcuffed into one design philosophy? I a lot of questions there, like from kind of ranging from who are the people that are involved in it to what is the design philosophy, uh, you know, so kind of trying to unpack that into multiple questions. Again, qualifying data at the outset actually helps you to articulate the type of people that you're going to be interacting with when it comes to power platform solutions. So me personally, I try to break it down into apps, analytics and automations uh, right at the outset of a, of a journey because ultimately those are the different types of tools that you're going to end up interacting with in in power platform to execute on those types of initiatives. And so when you're talking about like say a a data initiative with power BI being your analytics and reporting tool, you're going to be talking to people more likely than not that are dealing with the aggregation, the extraction, the transformation, the load, or the opposite, the extract load transform inside of the overarching data strategy, which brings in people from, SQL or Synapse or, you know, Azure like Gen 2 combined with blob storage. And so those conversations, again, around data at the outset are going to kind of tell you the types of teams and the types of skill sets that you're going to be interacting with on any initiative. I would say the same thing with like automation, too. You're going to probably be interacting with APIs and with RPA developers, and you're going to be interacting with people that understand how to throw information between those APIs. It's a different type of a skill set and a different type of a team to build a COE around business intelligence versus building a COE around automation. And then last but not least, obviously, you know, applications in the realm of building public-facing web portals or building canvas-based applications or building model-driven applications. Those, those often kind of have different sorts of teams of people that get assembled with them. I mean, from a methodology standpoint, I kind of came from the world of implementation around customer relationship management stack and software, as many people do with Power Platform, because the Dataverse kind of evolved from that, our, our CRM background. And so Microsoft has a whole success by design implementation philosophy around that. They kind of in many ways evolved from SureStep over the years, and that in many ways evolved from kind of like the transition from waterfall to agile methodology. So while Microsoft kind of has its own flavor of that, it, it, it's kind of an agile and iterative approach, which is kind of built into the way that you're interacting with application design, designed so that you can anticipate some of those changes and requirements that you're going to have later down the line. So that's that's one aspect of things. But again, kind of coming back to just solution segmentation <laughs> and how you go about packaging different sorts of capabilities inside of solutions allows you a lot of flexibility within the 
ecosystem of power platform to go back and do those agile and iterative approaches to things because you can always spin off a new solution and go copy the application and go change it and do what you you want to do so that's that's kind of the benefits of just the architecture combined with the methodology combined with probably the most important thing which is the talent matrix and the ownership matrix of Power Platform. Yeah, I believe you wrote a really, really good white paper that kind of goes over fusion development and how you operate uh, with multiple teams to, to be successful with Power Platform. Can you talk just a little bit more about that? And, and we can put the a link to that paper in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So I, as an architect at the Microsoft Technology Centers, get to talk to about 100 organizations and a couple thousand people every year around business applications, which constitutes everything, of course, power platform, but also everything dynamic. So a lot of breadth and exposure to a lot of different organizations' needs and wants and desires around all of these these capabilities. And what I've kind of found is that the, the largest gap with power platform is understanding how to scale it out in terms of people, talent alignment, in terms of Five years ago, if you went on LinkedIn, there's nobody whose job title is Power Platform Architect. Now there are hundreds. We've we've literally created a whole workforce space. And kind of, yes, in a marketing world, we have low-code and no-code capabilities. But really, to do enterprise-grade deployment with Power Platform, it takes dedicated professionals that are kind of becoming specialists in these areas that I've just described, apps, analytics, automations, those can become full-time work for people. And just kind of keeping up with all of these functional capabilities and the updates and the governance of all of these different tools is becoming, I mean, very literally, it's becoming full-time work for people with Fortune 500 companies. It's just, it's blowing up. So I wanted to kind of write a white paper that addressed that there are all of these things. Power Platform in and of itself is an umbrella brand name that is kind of overarching multiple services and what it all takes to kind of pick up and leverage those services, depending on whether you're doing it from the perspective of citizen development or whether you're doing it from the perspective of professional development or whether you're trying to kind of merge the complexities of both of those capabilities into a operational framework that makes organizations successful. And because I get to talk to all of these organizations, I kind of wanted to caveat some benefits, some pitfalls, some challenges. I mean, it's not uncommon for me to interact with an organization with many tenants. And so that in and of itself is like, what's the consideration when you got 90 tenants? How are you going to build a COE? Chances are you're going to struggle with that. Yep. No, that definitely makes sense. I, I know uh, we spoke a little bit about teams and, and, and those involved. I'd like to go back to data just for a moment. Sorry about that. But let's talk a little bit about standardization of data, right? You've got data coming mm-hmm. from multiple sources. You know, you've got uh, relational databases or you've got, you know, non-relational, maybe like a document database um, and you're pulling data into them. Is it key that you standardize that data? Is is it not? How do, how do you work and uh, building solutions where you are taking data from multiple sources uh, and trying to um, push it into one solution? Yeah, and I think that the first thing that I would say is that it's not like critical to have your data in a perfect format. And I would also kind of argue there isn't actually a perfect format. So. This whole notion that you're going to be able to accomplish standardization across a vast swath of transactional systems is probably like the holy grail that's never been found. Like it may, like people think it exists, but maybe it doesn't. So it's not necessarily important as a solution architect within the context of Power Platform to have data standardization 
um, as part of how you're thinking about it. But it is an extremely helpful afterthought in terms of whatever I'm going to build is going to want to then be exported into some sort of an analytics layer wherein it can be standardized. And so the architecture, at least the Power Platform, enables you to basically take whatever you've built in terms of the Dataverse and export that over to an Azure Synapse. And so from there, you can then go build your analytics layer and do what you want with your ETL kind of as an afterthought to whatever you're going to build as a transactional system. But yeah, I mean, it's highly desirable, but not necessarily the the be all end all of designing solutions. Fair enough. No, that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Hey, so one one question this this uh, might get pretty heavy is how does a solution architect like say they're listening to this and like man you know this data first design sounds like something I'd like to employ in my organization how do I convey this message to leadership you know so we can do this paradigm shift in how we approach app development if we're already in you know the adoption strategy. Or how do I convey this to makers as we're building a COE as part of the best practice for building these solutions? Is there any tips, tricks, like documentation you can point uh, users to, to to best understand um, what this is, even after listening to the podcast, and how they can how they can utilize it? Yeah, I mean, I would say first and foremost, check out our environment strategy documentation because it's core and foundational to a lot of different things that you're gonna think about considering data. Environments have, for example, a geographic residency. They are hosted in an Azure data region. Environments by default have a currency and a base language. So those are things that you kind of need to think about right at the outset, localization, currency, conversion, geographic residency, physical requirements. Those are great things to kind of present your executive leadership to, like, or with, because it will make them realize that you have to think about some pretty interesting considerations when it comes to compliance, when it comes to things like latency, when it comes to even just like translation capabilities. Again, it's a bad thing to have your currency translations missed off because you could lose money. So those considerations like kind of make you realize very quickly with Power Platform, we're talking about enterprise grade tools, not not just citizen development. We're talking about things that have the ability to be scaled out to do enterprise capabilities. And I think maybe that's kind of the funny thing to me is like an old CRM implementation guy back in my day. It's that we used to build these very large, complex things on this, this infrastructure. And it's only recently that I've kind of seen more of the simple types of things come into popularity. So the infrastructure is the same, but the, the technology has just changed in the way that we're using it. Be above and beyond that, yeah. Read my white paper if you really want to understand. <laughs> if you really want to understand how to think about this from different deployment perspectives, because some people are coming at it from the perspective of oh, citizen development in the default environment. Cool. How do we scale that? Scale that? Secure it? Make it more of an enterprise grade capability? Other organizations are coming at it from the perspective of like professional .NET development or you know SQL or API driven JSON development, and those people have also <laughs> these tools that can be leveraged at their disposal in order to do things more quickly. And so you really have to kind of like again at the very core of this whole topic, you really have to understand what you want to do with data at the outset and who the audience of that data is going to be to build a solution accurately and, you know, to the best efficiency that you can. 
I think you just volunteered to work with me on writing a blog post for this. This is what I'm <laughs> hearing. So <laughs> this is on top of the white paper and uh, and all the other thought leadership work you do. Brennan, thank you so much for being on. We'll have all the, the documentation that you referenced in the show notes uh, for anybody listening. Thank you again so much and uh, highly recommend checking out that white paper. Tons of great information on it. Love anyone's comments. Uh, please leave them for us. And thanks again, Brennan. Really appreciate talking to you. My pleasure. Chat soon.